This is Buffalo, What's Next? I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Dave Deboat. If ever there was an issue that demands more discussion now, the racist massacre at Tops Friendly Markets on May 14th is um, it. You know, America has a long, deep, rich history of racism brutalizing black communities. But where does it go from here? What does our community need? We must work and teach our children. What issues just aren't being addressed? As long as we keep doing the same thing, we're just sitting ducks for the next mass shoot. That's all you can say. This is a new program. Every weekday, we'll set aside this hour to hear from the community about issues that can no longer be held back. We need to make a concerted effort in our nation, in our institutions, and yes, in our families. And good morning. Welcome to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. Every 10 years, a census is conducted throughout the United States. And once the numbers are tabulated, congressional and state legislative districts are redrawn based on population changes. I'm sure earlier this year in the news, you heard in New York State about the controversy and some of the court challenges when it came to those congressional, state, Senate and Assembly districts and how they were drawn. That gained considerable coverage. But what about here in the city of Buffalo? Well, council districts are being redrawn, and there is some new controversy emerging just as of late. And we're going to take a closer look at that process uh, this morning. What's been proposed by an appointed commission, the protests that have emerged over the plan, and an alternative proposal as well. So for the next hour, we're going to take a closer look at these issues with Dr. Rusty Weaver, Director of Research at the Cornell ILR Buffalo Collab. Dr. Weaver is a quantitative geographer and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Dr. Weaver. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, great to have you, and thank you very much. And before we get too deep in this, I want to just point out a couple of things. If you want to follow along uh, listening at home or in the uh, wherever you are at the office, you can go to WBFO.org. Thomas O'Neill White's story, Activists Continue to Push Against the Council's Redistricting Plan. Scroll down. There's a hyperlink in there at Our City Actions Alternative Plan. You'll see it there. Go there. You'll find all the information that we're going to be talking about here. It's very extensive, and I encourage you to do so. But I don't want to bury the lead here, uh, Dr. Weaver, because the current proposal, and you brought this up, the current proposal for the council calls for nine redrawn districts. Six of those districts, you say, will have majority white voter registration. Right. So we actually look at, by the Census Bureau and through all the regulations, you look at the voting age population. So folks that are 18 years or older um, as the big universe of who might be eligible to vote. And so when you look at that population and break it down um, in the districts as they exist and as they're proposed by both the Citizens Redistricting Commission and the council, six of those nine districts, um, individuals who identify as white alone, so not Hispanic or Latinx, would have the numerical advantage in in six of those districts. So two thirds, 67 percent of the districts. Um, where such individuals make up 44% of the city's voting age population. So that's a bit of an imbalance. Yeah, most certainly. And uh, the big uh, push that we've been hearing about since we started the show is just how underrepresented the minority population or the black population, the people of color in the city of Buffalo feel. And this kind of 
adds to that sense of apathy a little bit. For sure. And it doesn't have to. So some of the districts um, in the current proposal by the council and, and as they exist still, um, you see a lot of sprawling in those districts that connect communities that might not have shared interests, um, that might dilute in particular um, the representation of black or African Americans in our city because of the way that they're shaped and how they're drawn. Now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I want to try to get the dates right here. And we're going to go through a lot of this and uh, hopefully uh, everyone can stay along with us. But there was a, an initial public hearing, if I'm not mistaken, what, May 18th? That's this? correct. Right. So that happened four days after the uh, massacre at the Tops Market, and only, what, one person That's correct. was in attendance. Yes. So uh, a legally mandated public hearing, only one person, so not a lot of attention to this. But at the same time, once things emerged, uh, passions changed a little bit. As a matter of fact, at a press conference the other day, we heard from uh, Jim Anderson on the steps of City Hall. Uh, let's hear what uh, Jim had to say. And this is a moment of respect. Respectfully, we bring our updated report. Respectfully, they should have responded. Everybody in the city has responded, but I elected representatives. Now, you don't have to ask why. They've been in this state of ignoring the people. They don't have to ignore us. We didn't come to fight. But if we have to fight, we will fight. We came to build a city that works for all of us. The plan we have is more inclusive than anything that they have even thought about. You know, the folks they left out that many overlooked. You're talking about a plan that includes the voices beyond those who came to the ill-fated hearing. It includes the greater of the community. It is time for this council to stand up, roar loud, and say, we stand with those who elected us. I particularly say with those who elected them. And that, of course, uh, Jim Anderson uh, the other day, that was, I think, Tuesday at the steps of City Hall. Uh, You, of course, were there as well. It's interesting how quickly the response has been going from that one person who showed up on May 18th to, what, over 130 people that were involved on Tuesday. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, what happened is the hearing was announced a week before it was held, that May 18th hearing. I I think the notice went out maybe seven, maybe eight days before that. Um, And it took everybody by surprise. So as you mentioned in the introduction, this is a process that happens every 10 years. So some of us watch out for it. Um, By the charter in the city of Buffalo, Citizens Commission is supposed to be impaneled in August of the previous year. So almost a year ago at this point. Um, Usually that announcement goes out. People are aware that the process is starting. Um, Often there there are and should be announcements of when that commission is meeting so that folks who are interested can attend and and hear the deliberations and participate in that process. But that announcement on May 10th or 11th that a hearing was going to happen was the first that any of us had heard that a commission was even seated, didn't know who was on it, didn't know what they had been talking about. So when it happened, folks didn't have a chance to get there, especially because of what happened on 514. Um, but then afterwards, um, you know, we started to spread the word about how important this process actually is, that it only happens once every 10 years. And so when districts are drawn, they're locked into place. We'll have elementary school kids who are nine years old right now who will be voting in the districts that we draw in 2031 when the council seats are up again. And so the more we started to explain 
the process to to people and um, you know the choices that they have that we didn't have to start from the existing scheme and and work from there. Uh, people got interested, they got fired up, and they got involved, and that turned into 130 people at the council's public hearing. That commission that redraws the lines and came up with this proposed plan that uh, we've talked about a little bit already. Here we'll get into more, and then we'll also talk about the alternative plan as well. Though that commission, how is that commission formed? So that commission is formed uh, through appointments, political appointments. It is roughly evenly split between mayoral appointments and common council appointments. There are nine total members, if if I'm correct on that. I believe um, five of them are appointed by the council and four by the mayor. That could be flip-flopped. I might be getting it backwards, but okay. it's, it's basically that. All right, but, but at the same time, uh, people who – you can argue whether or not they – have any kind of political connect, like you said, uh, political appointments, whether or not there's any kind of quid pro quo involved there uh, you know, remains to be seen. We'll leave that for others to determine for sure. But at the same time, it, it does show that there are people out there that are getting involved in the process who may not have particular expertise in redrawing districts, correct? That's right. Yeah. Um, so there is a process for nominations and solicitations. Um, I do believe that we, we have an investigative journalist in the city who has requested those through a Freedom of Information Act request. So we may hear more about that process going forward. Um, but it, it is something that is, is also, again, not well advertised, not well announced. So you probably don't get a lot of um, you know, nominations from the public for that. So it is kind of this insider process, as, as you sort of suggested. Um, and that can result in, in folks being appointed to the commission that, yeah, might not have any expertise. Usually city staff is supposed to you know, sit in on the commission and provide them re- with resources. Um, but that that isn't a very imaginative process, because if you're getting folks that are appointed by um, the existing power structure, they might just think, OK, well, this is what we work with. Let's keep it in place. Let's just figure out how we can um, you know, check off the rest of the boxes that we need to check off and stick with what we've got. And that might not be the best approach. And let's talk about the importance. And again, we'll go to another uh, soundbite uh, from a Tuesday's press conference. This is Harper Bishop, the interim uh, executive director for Our City Action Buffalo. We wanted to reunify uh, the west side, what is the Niagara district, because in a former uh, redistricting process, unfortunately, those uh, districts were uh, taken apart and that the burgeoning Latino, Hispanic, Latinx uh, population was actually cut off. And uh, that was problematic. We also want to establish cohesive districts around the Elmwood Avenue corridor. We heard that from many people. We also heard time and time again, there were hundreds of speakers and public comments that we read that talked about the gerrymandering of the Fillmore District and how unjust that is. So we've created in its place two more compact neighborhoods that preserve neighborhoods. um, And we've reintegrated the first ward historically uh, that was in the Broadway Fillmore back into that neighborhood. That's a Harper Bishop uh, talking right there. Uh, So... We talked, we've gotten into this a little bit about how people refer to the east side of Buffalo. I'm not going to get into this whole other controversy about whether or not it should be changed to uh, east Buffalo, whatever the case may be. But the idea that it, it, it does overlook the idea that there are individual neighborhoods inside the city. Harbor Bishop got into it right there. What about neighborhoods, and we can maybe get into how some of these neighborhoods have been divided, but what about neighborhoods in Buffalo? What defines a neighborhood? 
So that is a great question. What defines a neighborhood are the people that live there. So they're the ones that name it. They define where it is, who belongs, um, and and who is welcome, which is is everybody in our city. And so you know sometimes it doesn't feel that way if you don't see your neighborhood or your interests represented. And so it's not a perfect process. You know the the best way that you can do redistricting is by involving everyone and have them at the table so that they can give the information on where their neighborhood is. Of course, as as just a group of volunteers, we didn't have access to resources that would allow a process like that to happen. Uh, so we instead relied on um, on existing sources. So the city of Buffalo does employ um, a lot of great urban planners. They have a planning department. They run through um, planning exercises very often. And as part of their comprehensive plan, they have defined 35 planning neighborhoods in the city um, where boundaries have been drawn, where they've identified relatively shared interests or demographics or culture. Um, and so our approach was to use that. So um, ideally, you're you know, governance and all of the institutions of a local government should be working together toward the same goals and the same vision that its community helps to craft. Um, And so if these planning neighborhoods do represent shared interests and communities of interest, then they should be preserved. They should be preserved in in the same council district. So that way, when they're lobbying elected officials, well, number one, they're electing elected officials who actually represent them and their interests. But then when they're lobbying them for changes, they're they're coming at that from a relatively unified perspective um, in a way that's going to create the change that they want to see in their communities that they name and that they have ownership of. And so what Harper Bishop said there right there, for example, let's take the, the West Side, the, this proposed uh, district process uh, that's coming up or this district map that has been formed by this commission separates what are neighborhoods then in the, on the west side? So on the west side, and this is um, even in our planning documents, there are three uh, planning neighborhoods defined on the west side, the upper west side, the west side, and the lower west side. Um, and so our approach initially when we were trying to, to figure out how we might preserve better neighborhoods in the same council districts didn't combine all of those, um, which was an, an oversight on our part. It was us trying to attend to other redistricting criteria and equalize population. Um, but at the public hearing that the council held, we used that as an actual dialogue and listening session rather than just, you know, therapy for folks to go out and speak their mind. You know, we took copious notes and it came up several times that folks from those neighborhoods thought that they were drawn in that way and separated and treated as distinctive neighborhoods um, as a way to break up burgeoning political power among communities of of folks who identify as Hispanic or Latinx. Um, And so we took that seriously. We took all of the comments that we heard at the public hearing seriously and we went back to the plan that we had initially proposed and we started to modify it to reflect those changes. Um, and we were able to come up with a scheme that would reunify those three now distinct separate planning neighborhoods in a single council district. And what about, again, expanding on those neighbor, neighborhoods and these uh, these uh, planning neighborhoods inside the, the city of Buffalo? Uh, we, Like I said, we've heard from some individuals who live in east side neighborhoods talk just about that. But are we missing that? Is that something in a, in a broader perspective that we're missing about the city of Buffalo, that there are these neighborhoods, these pockets of communities that have their own special bond? Oh, I think the people that live there certainly know that. Um, we might be missing it from a top-down sort of governance perspective, but people know their neighborhoods. And I think that's been super evident in the interest that we've been able to drum up about this process. Um, people are taking off of work to attend a public hearing or stand on the steps of City Hall to try to slow down this process and influence it because 
because they do know their neighborhoods and they want their neighborhoods to be preserved in these districts. And we're trying to give them that by using these proxies that, that are, again, great and well-qualified planners in City Hall have, have put together um, you know, years ago and, and have been using for planning purposes. We should be using them for governance purposes as well. And there's a sense of urgency here. We should we also talk about burying the lead a little bit, but uh, there's a sense of urgency here because the council was ready to vote on this plan last Friday. Without this public pushback, this proposal would now have been accepted, correct? That's 100% correct. So despite all of the public outcry at the hearing where, again, 130 folks in attendance, um, probably about 70 or 75 of them spoke, not one person spoke out in favor of the plan that the council presented. Uh, Most of them did speak out in favor of the alternative plan that that, um, our group has been able to propose. But aside from that point, you you have a public hearing where nobody is on your side, um, yet the sort of tone deafness of it is is 48 hours after that uh, public media announcement goes out calling for a special session where the council intended to vote on on that plan unchanged. Um, And journalists who had covered it and made requests said that um, all of their sources were saying that they were calling that meeting to to approve of that plan and and to push it forward despite all of the public backlash. Um, And so that's when you saw the the group Our City Action um, take action and get a bunch of folks to the steps of City Hall. And during their press conference on the day that... um, the notice of the vote went out um, 37 minutes into the press conference. Um, we got word that the council had decided to delay the vote. So public pressure is, has worked. And so, and in that regard, we have, should probably give uh, some credits to council members in that regard. We're talking with uh, Dr. Rusty Weaver of uh, Cornell University about the city's redistricting effort. Hopefully, uh, you're getting drawn in here because I think there are bigger issues involved in the in the very specifics that we're going to be getting into here uh, throughout uh, this program in this this hour of uh, Buffalo, what's next? Um, so they, they pull back on the idea that they're going to have it. But at the same time, there is a deadline looming on yes. July 31st. This has to be done by July 31st, correct? Right. So per the charter, the council does have to vote on and approve of a plan that they send to the mayor uh, by July 31st. Um, you know, From there, the process isn't over. So if they do approve of a plan and send it to the mayor, by charter, the mayor still has to hold a public hearing on the plan and has until September to finalize it and send it off to the Board of Elections. So there is still time on that side. But from the council's perspective, yes, um, there's a, a very you know imminent and looming deadline here. And I'd like to extend um, um, your comments about we we do give them credit for stalling this process. You know, once they uh, saw that we were serious about this, um, they they backed away and have said that they're going to take the time to solicit more information. So hopefully that's what's happening right now. And to talk about how serious your group is, it's July 1st. We're going into a holiday weekend. We're all getting ready to to cut away for for three uh, uh, days of summer here in western New York. And yet um, there was work to be done. Uh, And this alternative plan had to be developed. That's right. So we did put forward an original alternative plan that tried to preserve neighborhoods um, just a a few days probably after the commission's public hearing, just to show that there are alternative options. We put that out knowing that it wasn't going to be perfect, knowing that, um, you know, no plan can be perfect and truly incorporate everybody's wishes. But there are ways to do things better and incorporate more of everybody's wishes. Um, And so we always thought of that on our side as that being our 
first draft, knowing that you know as we get more people interested, as we solicit more comments and feedback, that we'll adjust ours as the process should work um, and create a, a second draft or, or another alternative. And so the council's public hearing was the perfect moment for us because so many people did come and speak out and we collected a ton of information from that. Um, we also had thousands of people reach out through text, email. Thousands? Uh, thousands, yeah. So our City Action and, and Harper Bishop, who you heard from on that clip, can go into detail about how many, but um, it, it's been thousands of, of um, individual correspondence that he's had with folks over this process. And so we've collected a lot of information because of the timing of things, when that vote was stopped right before the holiday weekend, um, we saw that you know without any further action on our part, um, you know the status quo plan might go forward as intended. Um, so yeah, we spent the weekend incorporating all of that feedback into an alter- into our alternative plan, and we came out with our second draft um, right as we came out of the weekend on Tuesday. And I know you've done some other work on, on, in your scholarly pursuits uh, throughout the years uh, about these types of issues, but at the same time. It's interesting to hear thousands of people contributing to this process that on May 18th had basically one person, how quickly it can change. And I wonder, from your perspective, what does that say about the city of Buffalo? Uh, it's inspiring. Um, I and. I told folks at the press conference on Tuesday, I actually watched the public hearing the whole way through twice, once just because it was that inspiring. And I, I, you, know, you, you get um, empowered senses when, when you hear everybody speak out so passionately about their neighborhoods and the changes that they want to see and want to make in their city. Um, and then we listened to it um, a second time with, with notepads to take notes and figure out how we were going to change our plan in response to all those comments. Nah. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a special thing to see. I like that, that inspiring. It's nice to hear that there is a sense of emergency in the city of Buffalo that is inspiring. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation about redistricting in Buffalo. If you're just joining us here on Buffalo, what's next? You want to find out about the alternative plan for the redistricting process and how uh, the city districts could be redrawn. I invite you to go to uh, Thomas O'Neill White's story at WBFO.org about the council redistricting plan and the pushback. Go down a little bit. You'll see a hyperlink uh, where it says uh, Our City Action Buffalo, and that is an opportunity to click on all this important information that's available for you. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back with more with Dr. Rusty Weaver here. This is Buffalo What's Next. It's one thing to love public media, but it's a special thing to support it. Consider this. If you've got a car you don't need anymore, or you've got one that's simply too expensive to repair, arrange to donate it to Buffalo Toronto Public Media. It's easy for you, pickup is free, and it could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. Here's how to get started. Go to WNED.org slash vehicles. Watch, listen, engage, play, and learn with Buffalo Toronto Public Media Stations and our weekly newsletter, The List. Sign up to receive the email at wned.org and find out the best shows to watch, the great music to listen to, the important news you can't miss, and the many ways you can engage with our public media family. Sign up now at wned.org. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. 
This is WBFO, your NPR station. And this is Buffalo. What's next? I'm Jay Moran, joined by uh, Dr. Rusty Weaver of Cornell University. We're talking about Buffalo's uh, redistricting plan, the, what needs to be done here in the city of Buffalo to redraw the districts for the council. If you're just joining us, you're not familiar with this, although I got a feeling that most of our engaged audience does understand this, uh, there was a plan that was appointed or developed by a commission of, of, appoint, of appointees that uh, maybe didn't quite hit the mark when it comes to the actual uh, racial uh, breakdown of the city of Buffalo. This is how things happen here in the city of Buffalo. Things get ignored. Uh, you know, there is that uh, element of apathy when it comes to certain things. It sounds like on this particular issue, uh, as we talk with Dr. Rusty Weaver, that that is not the case for sure. Let's uh, get into another element of this as well. Uh, Jesse Fisher, a uh, longtime preservationist here in the city of Buffalo, also spoke uh, the other day on the steps of City Hall. One of the other remarkable things in the revision is a re-edition of at-large council people. This is especially important, I think, for our city. 20 years ago, we eliminated at-large councilmen, council people, which meant that we all had less representative representation in our government. Today, we have the opportunity for less than $2 a day to bring back additional representation for our citizens. So we don't just have nine individual fiefdoms. We actually have more people that we can go to and say, these are the issues on the table for our neighborhood and somebody who can look out for how it impacts the whole city, not just one district. So I'm very excited with this new map. Thank you so much. Thank you. You can't have a uh, press conference at City Hall without the fire trucks and police uh, coming by it a couple of times. That's the way it works here in the city of Buffalo. That humorous element to it aside, you're talking about at-large council coming back. Uh, what would be the advantage to that? Uh, so a, a number of advantages, really. Uh, number one, the city's population is growing for the first time in 70 years. Um, and uh, aside from that, Demographers are projecting that the population is going to continue growing. Um, in fact, Buffalo has been named as one of, of the likely locations for uh, climate refugees as uh, places become more uninhabitable going forward. And so by all accounts, Buffalo um, is probably going to continue gaining people. Um, and for that reason, you know, again, this process right now, the decisions that we make today get locked in for 10 years. So if we're thinking about 10 more years of in-migration um, and potential population increase, by the time the council districts come um, up for election again in 2031, we may have a lot more people packed into these districts, and that dilutes their, their vote if, if we still have just nine districts. And so at-large members um, are, are one way to increase representation for folks. It's also another way just to redistribute power a, a little bit. So right now we have nine districts. Districts. They all maintain their territory. The council president even represents one geographic district um, rather than being elected at large, which that seat used to be. And so um, one of the things that, again, we heard during the public hearing was there was a lot of interest and support for at-large members to return. Um, I don't think that changes the fact that you know, we can still draw nine single-member geographically-based districts, but also you know, make that council presidency seat perhaps once again elected at-large and, and perhaps add another at-large member so you have an odd number in case of any tie breaks um, and give, more, give people more of a chance to vote. All do, you know, uh, more representation means more democracy, and, and that's kind of what we're after here. It's interesting because that goes against what had been sort of a pushback maybe 10, 12 years ago about shrinking a lot yes. of these local legislative bodies. But, but you see it as being an advantage, especially in the city of Buffalo. So I, I think um, a lot of that movement uh, a decade or so ago to shrink some of the legislative bodies is part 
balkanization. So we have so many incorporated municipalities um, in New York State and Western New York. Um, that's you know you, you might think that some of that is duplicative. Um, that's probably not the case in the heart and center of the region, though the principal city, Buffalo, um, where again more representation is is you know nothing but a good thing, probably. And you probably had a, a good look. I don't know how much time you really had a chance to spend it, but about the racial demographics in the city of Buffalo. What can you tell us uh, about the racial representation in the city of Buffalo, what, what these neighborhoods, what these areas of the city of Buffalo are looking like, how they are changing based on the, the most recent figures? Sure. So point number one is that we're still a heavily segregated city um, where Main Street is, is much more than just a street. It still does serve as, as really a physical barrier. Um, but, you know, we are um, a majority. I, I dislike the term, but we're a majority minority city, as demographers say. But we're just we're, um, you know, our, the majority of folks in our city are the majority of the people of the world. They're persons of color. Um, and so to have a council district scheme where, again, two thirds of, of the districts have a voting age population population that is you know, plurality or majority white doesn't reflect those demographics. Um, and everybody here, I, I think uniformly across the board, no matter what side of any issue you're on, is celebrating the population growth, the first population growth in 70 years. That was driven by people of color. It was driven by um, immigrants and refugees. Um, and so to have this opportunity to be able to redraw districts and restructure local government and to not take advantage of adding an increasing representation for the folks that are helping us regrow um, is a missed opportunity. And it also seems like, uh, just to build on that a little bit, the idea that you know, this is the growth opportunity for the city of Buffalo right. for so long. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of excitement for projects like Canal Side and things along those lines, which are a whole separate issue. We can get into that at some other time with other people for sure. But at the end of the day, it is about the, the people of the city of Buffalo that are going to make this city. And it sounds like this particular plan, and again, we can talk about motivations and, and maybe uh, you know, uh, you know, take uh, some, some guesses at why people decided to do what they wanted to do when it came to this original plan, but it overlooks just what you were saying, that there is a uh, people of color are the majority in the city of Buffalo, and it seems like they had been ignored. Right. And, and um, just to echo some of what you were saying, um, I, I always like to make a distinction between growth and development. Growth is something quantitative that we can measure. The population is increasing. We're seeing that quantitative change. But growth always, you know, also implies growth from the outside. That's, you know, thinking about the folks who are going to move in, which is something that we should be doing with this process. But we should also be thinking about development, which is qualitative change, um, improving quality of life for the people that actually live here right now, too. Um, and I think that's a process that can be transcendent. I think that we can plan for the folks that we have um, to make a more welcoming city for the people who eventually come in and move in. And to do that, um, I, I think we need districts that, again, represent the people's interests, the, the folks that are out there saying, this is my neighborhood. Um, I'd like it to be integrated into a single district so I have a better chance of electing my uh, preferred representative or somebody from my community who's going to listen to my needs and, and interests and, and govern here accordingly. So, um, yeah, I, I agree totally that this is a great opportunity for the future of the city. Yeah, you talked about development, and that might be getting a little bit outside your area of expertise here, but you did talk to, a, I'm sure, heard from a lot of different people. What about that? What, what does that look like? What could that look like? In terms of uh, qualitative change? Yeah. So I, I think that um, um, 
the best way to improve quality of life for residents of a city, for communities in a city, and for the city itself um, is for the people to have more control over their own lives and over the decisions that are made in their communities. The council is the closest body to the people. Um, you know, Barring any sort of charter amendments that give neighborhood groups actual authority to control development decisions or land use decisions in their communities, the council um, is the body that gives them the most power to be able to enact the change that they want to see. Um, and so creating districts that's you know, combine communities without shared interests that uh, cross over lines where, um, you know, we had folks who responded to some of our requests for information saying, when I went to vote for the first time, I was stunned that I was in this district or that district because <laughs> it's not at all connected to the other communities. Um, and so for that to be the case, it's unlikely that a community's interests and needs and wishes are going to translate into public policy or decisions about land use or decisions about economic development. Um, but if they're cohesive and if they're elected folks from their communities and their neighborhoods, um, the likelihood that they get the change that they want improves greatly. And so that improves the potential for that development, for enhancing quality of life greatly. Uh, we talked a little bit about when we had that uh, piece from Harbor Bishop, he, he talked about, uh, uh, you know, Latino influence on the West Side. The Elmwood district that he talked about a little bit. And again, I'm, I know you, you were deeply involved in, in putting these together, but I, I thought that was interesting because when I think of Elmwood, I think of a, a kind of already a cohesive area, but it's not necessarily represented in the in the, the plan that's being uh, proposed out there. Right. So, And this is something that uh, Jesse Fisher, who you just heard from, spoke about this at the press conference as well. Um, the Elmwood District folks who, who live there, even, again, our, our planners in City Hall have um, you know crafted planning neighborhoods to represent that as sort of a cohesive neighborhood. But in the council, um, it has gotten split into many different districts. Um, under the council's proposal, um, I believe Jesse said it gets divided into four Four different districts, mm. what, what people think of as the Elmwood Village. And that makes it really hard when you're trying to um, advocate for resources or um, to lobby a council member for a particular change in that area if there are four council members that control the space that you're trying to change. Um, and so our alternative plan, after again hearing all of that feedback during the public hearing, um, takes the two Elmwood planning neighborhoods that our city planners have created and combines them into a, a single district along with Allentown um, to represent hopefully the, the shared interests there a little bit better. And the Fillmore District, this is also an interesting part of this as well, uh, taking a look at what is being proposed by the commission and then this alternative plan as well, two very different uh, looks at how what Fillmore would be like, the Fillmore District. Very much so. So Fillmore is a district when it was drawn uh, 10 years ago, probably got the most backlash against it. So it almost horseshoes around the city, horseshoes around the Ellicott District from the Broadway-Fillmore area up into Allentown. Um, and the council's proposal really doubles down on that shape. Um, the way that the district had been drawn, Fillmore was one of the most malapportioned districts in terms of population, which is just the technical nerdy term for saying that it grew a lot. And so it was one of the districts that had to lose population in order to equalize it, to, to meet that requirement of having roughly equally populated districts. Um, so instead of shrinking, it actually shot up farther and horseshoot up farther um, into the Elmwood Village, even from Allentown. Um, and so the, the shape of that district is certainly unique. It's one that we heard a lot of uh, folks speaking out against at the public hearing. Um, and so the way that, that we tried to handle that problem is by splitting it into the, you know, instead of being a horseshoe, just into two separate districts. Okay. And one of those districts would then would be, if I've got the, would it be the first ward would kind of have, would be put into a, 
uh, um, another district, or the South District, I guess? Uh, no. So the first word in, in the alternative plan, um, and this again came out in the public hearing, um, our alternative proposal initially combined the first word with some of the waterfront area um, and up, up into the west side. And folks said that you know, while they um, really appreciated our efforts to preserve neighborhoods, that the first word um, historically has ties to the district that's been anchored in Broadway Fillmore. And so we made sure to okay. reintegrate that in our alternative. And so the first word would be integrated with Seneca Babcock, Broadway Fillmore, um, and the neighborhoods right right there in that section of the city and not sprawl over and take up some of Allentown and the Elmwood Village any longer. And very distinct neighborhoods that you just mentioned there as well. And, and back to it, I know we touched up on right uh, just a little bit ago, but I want to reiterate, some of these districts, they are not proportioned correctly, right? The idea is what? To have each district to have basically the same amount of population, but the the plan that's out there uh, was initially proposed doesn't reflect that. Uh, so one of the big requirements and why we do this every 10 years, the logic behind it is if we keep the districts in place that we have, but population changes, some of the districts are going to grow more so than others. Some will have more people, some will have fewer, and then folks' votes aren't equalized. That you'll have some representatives representing relatively few people who have stronger votes and some representing a ton of people. It's like the story in the U.S. Senate of, of California versus Wyoming. Right. right? And so that's why, why we do this to equalize populations. The councils and commissions proposals do that, right? So by uh, by law, you know, you're never going to get populations exactly equal across districts. So judges in the court system have typically approved plans um, and not rejected them as long as all districts are within plus or minus 5% of the target, which would be the, the target where all districts have equal okay. populations. The council's plan and the commission's plan get in that range. Um, ours just happens to get in that range a little bit tighter. Okay. So they are, it was, okay, yeah. you correct me on that. And thank you very much for that for sure. Um, what about uh, when it can, comes to the, like you said, some of these comments that you heard from, what were people saying? I, I'm just, I want to kind of draw that out a little bit because that's so much of what this show is about is to try to hear uh, voices and amplify voices here in the city of Buffalo. What were some of the things that people were saying about this plan and what they wanted to, to see in a, in a better plan? Sure. There were two big uh, clusters of comments that, that came out. Um, one was about outcomes and the actual geographies of the plan. The other was about the process. Um, so there were a lot of uh, folks to come out and, and speak out against the process. The fact that you know we found out about this hearing, uh, the commission's hearing, a week before it happened. You know There was no big notice of, of uh, when the commission was impaneled. Um, I, I've given other folks some context. I actually served on this commission 10 years ago when we did this uh, last time around. Um, whenever folks were appointed to the commission. The council set out a, sent out a public notice. It went to places like the Buffalo News, perhaps even WBFO here. Um, it, it was a public notice. And then anytime we had a meeting, it was subject to the open meetings law. So there was always a TV camera in there. And if anybody was unable to attend, because again, meetings were held during the day at City Hall, not everyone can be there. Um, the videos went live on the city's website on a dedicated page where all the documents that we referenced, everything that came up was also stored there. So there was at least some visibility of the process. Um, a lot of folks who came out to the public hearing did not feel that that visibility existed this time around. Um, the the one public hearing from the commission, again, happened on short notice. It was still held on May 18th, even after the events of 514. It lasted for exactly eight minutes with one person there to speak. Um, and then the council took that and, and modified the districts a little bit and then tried to, to rush it through. And so that was seen as a breach of public trust, I think. That folks didn't feel involved. They felt like they didn't, the, uh, their opinions weren't even desired, that's, that their voices didn't matter whatsoever. Um, so that was one cluster. The other cluster was um, 
the districts that we have now and trying to keep this system in place um, just doubles down on, on I, I don't want to call them mistakes, it's not my place to say, um, but for lack of a better word, on mistakes that were made by you know, draw, drawing sprawling districts that didn't try to you know, in, um, affirmatively preserve neighborhood boundaries. Um, and so you know, a lot of folks were out there to specifically endorse the plan that we had put forward at that time, um, but even those who didn't um, at least endorsed the objectives that we started from, which were to preserve neighborhoods in single districts so that those neighborhoods could um, have more electoral power to elect who they want to represent them. And the other was to advance racial equity, recognizing that any plan that doesn't try to break up this system that we've had for decades and decades, where two thirds of the districts have voting age populations that are mostly white, um, any plan that doesn't actually try to overcome that in some meaningful way, um, you know, should be questioned, if not rejected. Racial equity. That's something uh, that we most certainly are trying to bring to the forefront here. And hopefully uh, this process will help to enhance that in the city of Buffalo. Uh, let's take another uh, break here. We'll come back uh, with our, our final time with uh, Dr. Rusty Weaver of Cornell University. We're talking about redistricting the council in the city of Buffalo. This is Buffalo What's Next. Sometimes we miss our morning alarm, then we miss our morning news, and the whole day is off. That's when you can listen to the WBFO Brief Podcast to catch up on the day's news and get back on track. Find it every weekday wherever you get your podcasts, and then like and subscribe so you never miss the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team. Watch the WNED-PBS original production, The Adirondacks. We've come closer here to a, a working balance between the natural world and the human world than just about any place on Earth. The Adirondacks, now streaming on YouTube and the PBS video app. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. There are several ways for you to join the conversation. Send us a message now on Twitter at WBFO. Email us at news at WBFO.org or just press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app and leave a comment we can use on the air. We're here for you. This is Buffalo What's Next. And my name is Jay Moran, joined by Dr. Rusty Weaver of Cornell University. We're talking about redistricting in the city of Buffalo. I invite you to, to go to uh, Thomas O'Neill White's story on activists continue to push against the council's redistricting plan. Scroll down to the hyperlink at Our City Actions Alternative Plan. You can get a lot of information about what we're talking about here today and kind of sift through it for yourself. But the key here is to get involved in the process and try to make this work for everybody in the city of Buffalo. Uh, one of the pushbacks that we're hearing just a little bit there, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of public going back and forth here between council members who I, I'm sure are feeling a little bit of heat over this uh, redistricting plan is the idea that the alternative plan would put, I think, a, maybe a couple of uh, council members in the same district. And if I'm not mistaken, the city charter does not allow for that. Uh, so that, there's some some nuance there. So um, number one, we didn't actively go out and find the addresses of the council members and map them. Um, our process was more organic with the community interested in what would a system of districts look like if we prioritize preserving neighborhoods and it, trying to advance racial equity. So that's what we did without regard for where the, the current members may live. Um, it, it has come up, though, from some of the members that at least one of the newer districts that we draw um, might put two members into the same district. 
district. There is a provision in the city charter that any reapportionment or redistricting plan cannot terminate the office of somebody that currently holds office. Um, however, all the seats are up in 2023, so it would not do that. Um, that that's not how that um, provision in the charter should be interpreted um, from a legal perspective. But you know where. Uh, where things get complicated is there is a provision in the city charter for qualifications for office for the council. And one of the qualifications is that um, uh, someone who would campaign for a council seat uh, must have lived in that district for one year. Um, So there's a residency requirement. So um, that could complicate things if two members are drawn into the same district, um, you know, and one decided, well, I'm still going to move to try to represent this other district that I'm being drawn out of. Um, The timing there would would be uh, you know probably not on their side. However, that's also something that is a solvable problem. Um, number one, the council through New York State Municipal Home Rule Law has, has the power to change that charter provision, that residency requirement through dile- direct legislative action. It would not trigger um, a mandatory referendum like some other bigger picture changes to the charter would. So that's something that they could potentially do at their next meeting if if they were so inclined. Um, And another is, you heard Jesse Fisher call for it. Um, One of the ways around that is if we expand the council, if we take nine single-member districts that are drawn to preserve neighborhoods and advance racial equity, if that does so happen to affect any current members, um, you know, if they were willing to um, adopt a plan that would make the council presidency seat elected at large and add another at-large member to the council. Um, if only two members are affected, that would take care of that problem sort of in and of itself. And so um, even though it's not a legal requirement that districts need to be drawn around current members' homes, which is very far from a legal requirement, um, if we did want to incorporate that into the planning process, I think this at-large option would would satisfy that. And uh, just uh, as an aside, uh, we had India Walton on this program a few weeks back, and she said... Council members should expect primary challenges uh, coming up uh, in 2023. That's an aside, and obviously that's something for the city of Buffalo. But I think we're kind of highlighting uh, what is uh, we're seeing as a little bit of a passion developing in the city of Buffalo. We have uh, another uh, comment here. This is Aletha Davis. She is uh, identifies herself as a resident of the Ellicott District. She was on the steps of City Hall uh, the other day, and she said she's not a foot soldier. I'm one who cries in the wilderness on my knees. I pray because I know that what happened on May 14th was not to be. And we said at that point, well, kumbaya, we love one another, we're going to all work together. And to have this egregious plan on the heels of that tragic day is unspeakable. So I'm just here to let you know that I may not be a foot soldier, but I know who who holds his hand, holds That's my right. hand, That's right. yeah. and keeps me and keeps all of us, whether we believe it or not. We can do better, yes. but we have to do it better together. I love that comment for a lot of different reasons, and I want to get into something here, and maybe we'll pull you out of your scholar's seat for just a minute here, uh, Dr. Weaver. Uh, Aletha mentioned May 14th, and uh, she called it an egregious plan offered by uh, the, this commission for the council redistricting. But what about what maybe you're seeing and sensing since May 14th here in the city of Buffalo? I know it's still early and it's still fresh, and that's sometimes how things work. But at the same time, do you sense a different spirit, a different attention to what the city is and what it can be? 
Um, absolutely. So just to see um, in this redistricting process, the folks getting involved and, and coming out. Um, and, and again, something that is historically just this arcane insider process um, shows that you know we have energy and the momentum is on the side of, of the people. Um, and I think one of the reasons that folks have latched on to this issue in particular, even though it is kind of wonky, um, is... You know, what got us into the problems of May 14th and everything that preceded it, systemic disinvestment, are systemic structural decisions and policies um, that segregated the population, that removed resources from some segments of the population and moved them elsewhere or invested more heavily in some areas than others. Um, those are, again, systemic structural decisions and conditions. Um, and changing the structure of government by uh, drawing boundaries that are community-initiated, that you know potentially... Um, add more representation to the council by maybe adding more seats that are elected at large, that is a structural change. Um, I, I think it will take a long time for that to manifest as, you know, on the ground changes to enhance quality of life, but it represents a structural change um, and a way for the community to, to feel a sense of ownership in their system of governance and the council that they have, because they're the ones out here helping us draw these districts and giving us the information to draw them. Um, and so that is something that is empowering. And, and I hope that that's something that comes out of this process. And to that then, I mean, just to add or to, to build on the point, the idea that you know, if people can make a change in this regard, it will only, I would think, reinforce their desire, their actual actions when it comes to being involved in their neighborhoods. A hundred percent. And, you know, drawing districts that uh, represent neighborhoods that give communities um, a chance to uh, elect people from their neighborhoods to represent them, um, that is a, a sign of a healthy democracy. And one thing that, to go back to an earlier conversation, that promotes development, that promotes, qual promotes qualitative change and structural change is a healthy, well-functioning democracy. And that requires participation, and you're seeing a ton of participation right now. And I think that that would continue um, if, if this process goes their way and they have that win in their back pocket. We most certainly hope for that result in terms of uh, uh, greater participation for for sure. Uh, uh, maybe a, a larger conversation here. This is something that I, I've felt and I think I saw it uh, a couple of years back when I did some reporting on the uh, uh, Chris Collins congressional race. At the time, Chris Collins was indicted on insider trading charges. Later, of course, after the election, he was uh, convicted and had to give up his seat. But he stayed in the race uh, there was some nuance there as well. If he would have gone off the, the ballot, to, it would have had a, a write-in would have had to take place. It could have gotten really complicated. But the bottom line was, it is a heavily Republican district. And Chris Collins stayed, even though he was indicted, stayed on this. And it really, what I, I took from the reporting I did out in some parts of the district, is that gerrymandering, and there's no doubt that district is a gerrymandered district, just like a lot of other ones are in New York State, really does remove the debate from, from process. You know, if you're, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you shouldn't want somebody who is indicted on insider charges, insider uh, uh, trading charges, to be representing your district. Yet there was almost no debate in that regard. He won. It didn't win easily, but he won nonetheless. What about the idea of what gerrymandering has done to the Democratic spirit in the, in the United States? 
it's debilitating. So it was, um, I believe, uh, local attorney Adam Bojack who spoke out at the public hearing. Um, like I said, I watched it twice and took a lot of notes. Um, and he defined gerrymandering as um, elected officials picking their voters rather than voters picking elected officials. And so when the process goes that way um, and you have districts that are drawn for um, incumbent protection, which is what the Buffalo News called the, the council's proposal, their editorial board, um, that is just dispiriting. And, and you don't feel a lot of folk, or uh, a lot of folks don't feel that um, they even belong in the process. They'd, they'd rather do something else than vote because they don't they don't feel that they're going to make any sort of a change. Um, and so what I was talking about earlier in redrawing the districts could be a structural change. Redrawing it in a way that, again, energizes people could entice competition. Um, you know, it could get new people involved in the process because they see a district that reflects them and that they're willing to go out and, and put their neck out and try to represent. Um, and that is, is again, a sign of a, a healthy democracy. So um, just backing into the status quo and trying to keep everything the same, the more we do that decade after decade, the less people are going to be inclined to participate. And so I, I think that this is, a, a again, a great opportunity to break that trend. And I'm sure there are uh, the, the Republicans that live in the city of Buffalo are also probably screaming at the radio right now. Well, in the city of Buffalo, I mean, you know, there's really no, when it comes to gerrymandering, there's no real... Uh, there's no real debate about whether it's going to be a Republican or a, a Democrat in, in each of these cities. But what we're really talking about is, you know, who is going to be representing these districts? Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I don't think you'd be able to gerrymander in any way that would give uh, you know, registered Republicans an advantage just because <laughs> no. of uh, the enrollment. But I, I think, you know, you are seeing this dynamic of, of what, um, again, if you want to call it gerrymandering or anything else, what that dynamic would do um, is say that we don't get any challengers. So it's sort of a, a status quo versus change sort of a mentality, whether or not someone would be willing to stand for office in a district that they felt that they had no shot in winning because of the way that it was drawn. Uh, intrigued uh, when I was doing my research, uh, getting ready to talk to you today, uh, Dr. Weaver, that uh, you were the lead author on a, a, a work called Shrinking Class, Understanding Urban Decline in the United States. Let's just talk about that a little bit, and maybe if you can bring it home here to what you've seen in the city of Buffalo. But what about that? What has led to urban decline in the United States? Uh, many factors. So it's it's multi-causal. Um, and decline is, is, again, sort of the opposite of development. If we think about it as a continuum, like we were talking about earlier, decline would be that qualitative or, or downward change in quality of life. Um, and that happens, um, again, from a number of reasons, one of the big ones being capital mobility, right? It's by having this system that prioritizes profit and the interests of, of private property, property over collective community wealth means that everyone is always seeking a return on investment. So um, if, uh, you know, in the 1950s, uh, suburbanization, if that means, you know, buying new homes on larger lots or what have you, uh, chasing that opportunity, it means taking money out of neighborhoods inside of the city. Um, it means not reinvesting in them and allowing them for 70 years of population decline to be subject to the forces of weatherization, to have infrastructure crumbling. Um, and so, again, it's, it's all of these factors coming together. Um, loss of population means loss of a tax base, declining or deteriorating public services. All of that has an effect. They're all sort of these related reinforcing processes, um, and at, not at the helm of all of that, but at least side by side with that and occurring with it, is whether or not decision makers are, are going to uh, reallocate resources in a way to interrupt that process, to um, not allow, you know, 
development to be driven by, say, the private sector into the most highly valued spaces, but to redirect resources um, into historically uh, marginalized or disempowered communities. These are choices, um, and they're, they're choices that we can start to, to make in a different way um, going forward. And then most certainly, uh, just to kind of add on to that, most certainly seen in the city of Buffalo. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why we're always touted as, as one of the most segregated cities um, in, in the country. You know, one of the reasons why we saw population decline for so long. Um, you know, again, these, these forces tend to reinforce one another. And um, in order to break that up, we have to think and do things differently. Interesting in your initial comment there about that, I think you used the term like collective wealth, right? Uh, As opposed to, you know, a profit inspired approach to development. Uh, Dr. Dr. Henry Lewis Taylor was in here yesterday with Uh, Dave Debo and he got into that quite a bit. Yes, for sure. Uh, We see that a little bit with the Fruit Belt uh, association. They, they've developed uh, their own um, community the land, trust. Uh, land trust as well. How possible is that moving forward? How could that be expanded? Have you seen examples in other cities across America? Um, so there are examples in the U.S. and internationally, um, but I, I think the potential for a city like Buffalo to be a leader on this front is enormous because we have um, in our public sector's possession one of the greatest assets possible, land. Um, the city of Buffalo is sitting on its its the steward and um, really the uh, they're the deed owner. Yeah, the, the the deed owner, right, of a ton of public land that could be held in the public trust. And so this is something that um, I'm part of uh, of a few groups that are going to be working on this issue more going forward. Um, but the idea that we could hold that land in trust and use that as an asset to invest in communities um, you know, is, is something that we always think about dollars and cents and the numbers and how we can pour more dollars into communities. But how we can open up access to land in communities um, could be a huge game changer as well. So Buffalo has um, great potential to be a leader on that front and to scale up models like the Fruit Belt Community Land Trust. Because we're talking about vacant lots, basically, that, right. the, that the city owns Correct. Uh, uh, at, this, at this juncture. What gets in the way of that? It sounds to me, after hearing Dr. Taylor and now you just uh, talking about it as well, it sounds to me like an obvious approach. Uh, so what gets in the way of that... Um, our existing laws and regulations, basically. So um, there are a lot of provisions that require or at least try to force the city into uh, one-on-one transactions for those vacant lots, and um, in particular to sell them for, quote, the highest and best use or market rate value. However, um, and this is probably getting too in the weeds, there are provisions in the state constitution that there are loopholes around that mm. um, where that wouldn't have to be the case. But because we are a home rule city, um, another opportunity is to amend the charter and change the charter um, in a way that would uh, you know, create different land disposition or even land access uh, policies and regulations to make it easier for community gardens or um, you know just a, a other sort of pocket parks or, or what have you or any even affordable housing in particular. That's one where state law is pretty clear that um, as long as it's coherent with an area based plan, any public sector lot can be basically given away for affordable housing um, without having to sell it off at all. And so these are all opportunities that we have. But in order to do that, we, we do have to change the structure of governance again, um, not just the, the 
perhaps the district boundaries of the council, but maybe the charter itself. I'm wondering uh, if you want to tip your hand here at all, but you said you're with some groups that are kind of working on this uh, and trying to maybe expand on a little bit. Are you finding any interest in any potential people who might want to run for office? Uh, so uh, I, I'm not really working with folks that are interested in campaigning or running for office. We're looking more at ballot initiatives. Okay. Um, and so that that is another way uh, to participate in direct democracy, to think about changes that you'd want to see in your city, and then to collect signatures and, and do the groundwork of getting it put onto a ballot. And um, this is an example and a model that we have seen in over 200 communities in the United States of uh, community rights uh, inside the community rights movement of, of folks going out and organizing and trying to change their city charters through ballot initiative to better match the interests of the people and to better uh, to create better tools to accumulate community wealth in those spaces. And again, back to what you've heard from people in the last couple of weeks about this redistricting process. Do you see a growing amount of people? You may not have gotten into that part of uh, mm-hmm. ballot initiatives and things like that. But do you sense, again, back to that spirit? That might be there to, to, to help push this along. Absolutely. And, and this could be a transitional point. Um, you know, once the redistricting campaign ends, another one needs to start. And so there are plenty of opportunities out there, and I'm happy to discuss them with any interested folks that might be listening. <laughs> uh, Dr. Weaver, we kind of started off on a down note. You're, you're, you're giving a lot of uh, inspiration uh, to uh, to the possibilities ahead here for the city of Buffalo. If you are just joining us, I just want to remind you, we're talking about uh, the redistricting process here in the city of Buffalo. I invite you to go to Thomas. O'Neill White's uh, story on WBFO.org. It's uh, uh, activist pushback against the council's redistricting plan. Scroll down through it and you'll see a hyperlink at uh, our city action uh, alternative plan. Lick onto that and you'll see a lot of Dr. Weaver's work about uh, how the not, city of Buffalo. Not just mine. I, 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 I contributed. I, okay, very good. <laughs> that's, that's, but nonetheless, a very extensive amount of work that shows you what could be done when it comes to uh, the uh, the city of Buffalo's redistricting plan. We're coming down to our final 25 seconds or so here, Dr. Weaver. What's next? What's next for uh, this process? So um, our city action did file an item with the council to be heard at the upcoming meeting on Tuesday, and they're planning to to turn some folks out to speak on that. So, um, again, we're not trying to be antagonistic. Hopefully the council wants to hear from us, and we'll talk with them and move forward. I'd like to thank everybody. We'd like to hear from everybody in the city of Buffalo. The more, uh, as they say, more hands make for a a lighter lift. For sure. Uh, Dr. Rusty Weaver, our guest this morning on Buffalo What's Next? Thanks very much for joining us. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOL and Olean, and WBJ Jamestown.